Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of A Deeper Conversation, the podcast for Jewish women. My name is Yochaved, and you are going to love this next episode. First of all, I know it's been a while since I've recorded a conversation. It's been crazy with all the Yemim Tobim. The Chagim have been just a whirlwind of cooking and cooking and eating and sleeping and eating and sleeping, as you all know. Um, but now that we're back on a regular schedule, I am really so excited that this is going to be the, ne- the first podcast back after the Chagim. I met Elisheva Lieberman 24 years ago. She stayed at my house for Shabbos, and I was just so impressed and blown away by her story, which she told me over the course of the Shabbos, and I actually never forgot it. And I hadn't seen her since then until now, and we ran into each other um, probably about three, four weeks ago, and my immediate thought was, oh my gosh, I really want more people to hear her story because it is so inspiring. The struggles and the challenges that the, she went through to become Jewish and just to lead this incredible life as an extraordinary Jewish woman. I hope, Jewish woman, I hope will inspire all of you as it did me. Before we get into the podcast, of course, I want to remind you all that you can email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation if you would like to support the podcast. Uh, If you think you're getting value from it and you'd like to help keep the lights on, please um, consider donating monthly. Even $5 a month really helps. Of course, sponsorships are also available for the podcast. And you can reach me again at a deeper conversation, 120 at gmail.com. And now let's get on with the podcast. Okay. Hi, Ali Sheva. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Okay, well, I am so excited to share your story or for you to share your story with my audience because we met as we were talking before I started recording. I think it was about 23 or 24 years ago. We spent Shabbos together and over the course of Shabbos, you told me your whole story and it has really inspired me ever since that time. And then, of course, we ran into each other sort of providentially a few weeks ago. And I'm just so excited for you to share your story with my audience. So maybe let's just start at the beginning. If you could tell me a little bit about how you grew up, your childhood, teenage years, maybe specifically with regards to what your spiritual or religious life was like, but just, you know, give a general background. It's always, I was talking to my husband, that it's very tough sometimes to, to do this because what you grew up with doesn't seem that interesting to you, even though it's interesting to other people. To you, it seems normal. Right. Um, but I guess it's not really normal. <laughs> Well, for most of your listeners, um, I grew up, when I, when I was growing up, I was born into a family that was fundamentalist Pentecostal Christians and not Jewish. Everyone always asked me, were they Jewish? And just, just practically, no, they were not Jewish. Um, so religion was every bit part and parcel of our lives. We, I grew up way out in the country outside Rochester, New York, and it's the kind of area that people think of as like redneck country or something like that. Horses, farms, we had a barn in our backyard. I took 10 years of horseback riding lessons, our house outside Rochester, and you're from Cleveland, I think you're in Cleveland now, I guess it's pretty cold to get there. Our house was heated by a wood-burning stove that we had to chop the wood for, Wow. you know, and we grew up just completely immersed in fundamentalist Christianity. Now, what did that mean? It didn't mean like 
just going to church on Sundays. It meant one of these churches where on Sundays you're dancing down the aisles and, you know, singing and raising your hands in prayers to the Lord and during the week going to revival meetings and, um, you know, having prayer services. And when you're sick, you get healing hands lead on you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What was that? What's that like, uh, healing hands? I was actually just reading about this. It's in a medical journal about how effective that is in healing, you know, irrespective of, I guess, the denomination. But what's that experience like? It's actually very interesting. To me, it was very, very normal when I was a kid um, that if you were sick, of course, you went to the doctor. We weren't like, you know, that we wouldn't go to a doctor or something, but that you would go and have other people, what they would call, lay hands on you. They would put their hands on you and ask for the spirit of the Lord to come through them and through the from the true healer, you know, to come through and heal you. And you know, when I was a kid, if you were sick, if a person, like, especially if they had something really serious, but even if it wasn't, even if it was sometimes it would be anxiety or something like that, and people would, would all from the church cluster around them and put their hands on top of them and pray for the spirit of, of God to come through them. Wow. And was it effective? And I had done many times, and I did it many times. <laughs> I could see that being you a know? very powerful experience. Yeah, it, 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 it was the whole... You know, the whole church experience when I was a kid was all encompassing. Right. It was like that. It was like having everyone gathering around you and putting their hands on you. The whole experience of my childhood faith was like that. It was that God is everywhere in everything you do. Like, if you want to know what you're going to do, you want to make a decision, you say, I'm going to go pray about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I'm deciding whether I want to go to friend A or friend B's house, I'm going to pray on it and I'll decide who I'm supposed to, where the Lord's moving me to go. Wow. So... It was a very all-encompassing experience like that. And um, and I, if I recall correctly from our conversation, I remember you told me that your mother was a nun before she became a yeah, Pentecostal. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other aspect to the story. <laughs> so I didn't realize I told you that. That's too funny. Yes, um, my mother was a nun. That's not a fundamentalist person. She actually went went off the derrick, so to speak, and became, a, became this kind of Christian, which her mother, her mother... Uh, really uh, was upset over because she thought she had really lost her way in life by becoming this kind of a Christian. But my mother originally was a Catholic and spent uh, over 20 years in a convent wow. before leaving it to get married and have children. So really your journey to and Judaism is, is following in your mother's footsteps in a way. It is. I mean, I've thought about that. I've thought about that many times. And, you know, my grandmother, she saw one daughter, her daughter leave all of her children leave to become this sort of a Christian. And then her granddaughter leaves that to become Jewish, which is very interesting. Wow. But we found out much later in life that her, uh, my grand, my great grandmother, though not Jewish, was very connected to Jews back in Poland. Really? So I think it sort of almost comes full circle in a certain sense. They ran a Jewish bathhouse at Mikvah. Really? In Poland, apparently. That's amazing. So, yeah. Okay, I literally have goosebumps. Okay, so so you grew up in this like very all-encompassing Christian atmosphere where everything, I mean, it sounds from the way you're describing also positive, like as far as the faith and the spirituality. Was it a positive vibe around the church and around religion? It, it was, but there was always this strong sense of, it's also, you have to realize on the one hand is that, and on the other hand, there's also, though, the very strong sense of going to hell 
disappointing God in some way, if you're not having every sort of thing that you want or success in your life, it's because you've let God down. Mm. Because you've uh, you've sinned and it's it's from the devil, it's from the hell, or from something like that. So there's always this strong fear of like, oh my gosh, like you meet somebody and your first question in your mind is, are they a Christian? Because if not, they're going to hell. Uh. You know, like there was a strong sense of that as a kid of, of of really, even if a person is sick, sometimes there's a sense of their their being controlled by the devil or something like that, or the devil's in their body. So it was a very positive. There was a very strong like uh, forces of, of of both positive and negative at the same time. Right. Seeing everything from one point of view or the other, everything's either from God or it's from the devil. Uh huh. So interesting. <clears throat> and so, at what point did you start to question or wonder or you know kind of look outside that world that you grew up in? So it's very interesting because when I was a kid, because we were so far out in the country, I think that as Jews, we tend to assume that everybody knows what Jews are. Mm-hmm. And remember, this was also back in the days before the internet, you know, those dark ages that you and I grew up in. Right. The 80s. And, uh, right. <laughs> and we just had, I had never even thought about Jewish people. Like, I'd never certainly, in my understanding, met a Jewish person or anybody who I knew was Jewish growing up. And, like, we talked about Jews a lot at church and stuff, but as far as, like, knowing Jews, I had I had no idea what a Jewish person even was. So it was out of the realm of imagination of even, like, looking at, at Judaism as a legitimate thing. The only thing I knew about Jews, like, I know people tend to think about people, you know, about Christians or about people who are, like, in country Christians as, as anti-Semitic, but I think it's almost not even that as much as a complete just lack of understanding of what Judaism is. Because what I was always told growing up, which sounds anti-Semitic, but really isn't when you think about it, is that Judaism is a dead religion. And it sounds anti-Semitic, but what it really is is that people never met anyone who actually practiced it. Right. Like my mother had one friend, my mother was a public school teacher, and she had one friend in the Rochester City Schools. And she had one friend who was Jewish. And this woman, one time they went out to lunch at a Chinese restaurant, and this woman ordered pork. And my mother said, oh, I thought that Jews don't eat pork. And she said to her, oh, in Chinese restaurants, it's okay. And, you know, that was, like, what our understanding of, like, all we knew was, like, I actually thought, like, if, I didn't even realize people actually practiced it. I didn't, like, I thought if you went to a synagogue, it was just to talk about how you don't believe in, in, in Christianity. <laughs> right. Like, I would have no idea. And so I had no exposure to it all. And I had actually started looking at some other religions. I always felt that I believed in God. I always had a very strong, like, fundamental seat in, in God. And I looked at some other religions. I looked at Mormonism. At what age was this when you started exploring other religions? High school. Okay. High school. In a lot, in, 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 with Catholics, Catholics baptize their babies as children, right? And um, other kinds of Christians, they baptize adults. Like you make a fundamental choice when you turn, you know, 16, 17, 18, or even as an adult that you want to get baptized. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole bit what to do. You go in front of the whole congregation. It's a huge party. It's, you made the choice. They, it's like a huge deal. And every single one of my friends was going and getting baptized, and I didn't do it. 
Really? And they kept telling me, you should do it. It's, come on, it's great. You should do it. My sister went. My mother even went for another baptism. I'm just like, I, I'm not, I don't want to. It's not, it's not the right time. I just, I just don't feel it. And I knew that God was there. I was trying to find where God was. And I was trying different churches. I was trying, and at the same time, still going to my revival meetings and my, you know, my uh, prayer meetings and, and talking to God. And so I went off to college and I went to a place called Gettysburg College, which is in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And I think there were less than 10 Jewish people there. I was super involved with Christian life there. Super, super involved. I even lived in a Christian housing, mm-hmm. right, for Christian kids and everything. It was very involved. But two years in, I decided to transfer to be closer to home. And I transferred to the University of Rochester, which, unlike Gettysburg College, is 20 to 30% Jewish, very Jewish. Wow. And all of a sudden, I met Jewish people, which, and people who were actually even practicing, like, I didn't know the difference between Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, anything. And one time I was taking this course on comparative, um, like, uh, medicine in different cultures. So interesting. And I had to read this book. One of the books we had to read was a book called Modern Medicine and Jewish Ethics by Fred Rosner. And I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And so I found a friend, my friend Anas, who I, I figured was Jewish. I knew she was Jewish something. And I said to her, are you Jewish? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, this book talks about Orthodox. Are you Orthodox? And she's like, yeah, because she was Israeli and non-practicing Orthodox, sort of. And I'm like, so what, what's this about? Do people actually practice Judaism? You know, whatever. I was fascinated. And at the same time, I noticed every Friday night, like I was trying to get her to go out because Friday nights are like the big nights that everybody goes out in college. Trying to get her to go out. And she's always doing something Friday night. I'm like, okay, what are you doing that's so exciting on Friday night? There's got to be something that, what, what's going on? Like, what's the big deal? You can't come out with me on Friday night. What's the big deal? She's like, I, I go to this guy's house. I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? She says, I go to this place called Chabad House, and we have Friday night dinner. And I was fascinated by the idea. I'm like, can I come? I really want to come. Let me just come and see what it's like. Please, 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 let me come. She said, I'll ask the rabbi. And, of course, as most rabbis do when, you, when a Jewish person comes and goes, I have this fundamentalist Christian friend who's super interested in coming to Friday night dinner with me. She said, no. <laughs> she said, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. And, of course, though, when you have someone like me who hears the word no, it makes you, like, triple want to go. Right. You know, I so wanted to go. And I started getting more involved in, in Jewish, what I thought were Jewish things by hooking up um, with like a Messianic, like a day for day place. Right. And going to services there all the time. But again, I, the funny thing is I was more Orthodox than they were. I kept telling them, why do you collect money on Saturdays? You're not supposed to handle money on Saturdays. They're like, what's the matter with you? You know, like I was really like, I wanted more. And I convinced one of those girls who was there, who was Jewish, let's sneak into the Chabad house together. It's hilarious. And I really want to go. It's like, it's like a, 
it's almost like a high security place that you have to figure out a way <laughs> to get into. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Like, and I didn't realize the last person you want to show up with in a Chabad house is like someone who they know is like a big J for J missionary. Right. <laughs> and like, I'm showing up like, I'm with her. Can we come in? You know what I mean? And of course they let us in. There's Rebbe Vogel there. Mm-hmm. You know, Rebbe Vogel is an old time, you know. Sure. Who's used to everybody coming to his door. And I went in and I remember that as one of the pivotal moments of my life was that night, which changed like everything for me. And the funny thing is it totally gave me so many misconceptions about Judaism because <laughs> like, first of all, like we had the service and then we all went outside and it was like freezing. I'm like, why are we outside? And we're all sitting outside at a picnic table in like some sort of a little tent and we're all eating. And I'm like, do you guys always eat outside year round like this? Isn't it cold? I didn't realize, of course, it was circus. Right. Right? No, nobody told, I wouldn't have known what it was. And I, of course, asked Mushki Vogel, you know, who was then about like eight years old. Right. And she decided to have some family. She's like, yes. All the time, every night we eat outside like this, even when it's snowing out. I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, gosh, she was just messing with you? Yeah, she was messing with me. She also told me, like, I, I asked, can I use the bathroom? And she said, you can't use it if a boy comes out of it for 10 minutes afterwards. <laughs> I'd be like watching, like, who's coming out, you know what I mean? Like, they, those kids mess with me. But I was, like, overwhelmed by how Jewish everything was. Because you right. go into, like, Chabad, please, everything is, like, overwhelmingly Jewish. Right. You know, all the kids' books are Jewish kids' books. All the calendar, the calendar on the wall is Jewish. The CDs are all Jewish. Everything's Jewish. And I was just blown away. And it looked like something out of, like, Fiddler on the Roof or something with all the girls in the long dresses and everything. And I was just absolutely, like, my life was never the same after that moment. Let me ask you a question, just going back a little bit, because you said, like, as a teenager, you didn't want to be baptized. And you always, for something was holding you back. But you had, you spoke to God, you clearly had the strong belief. So was your questioning, like within, let's say, looking at the different religions, was it emotional? Was it intellectual? Like, what was your problem that want, made you search further? My, I think my largest problem was intellectual with it. I had very big issues with, with how things, like, the Old Testament, as it was called, was read, but just sort of completely abandoned, like nothing in it was followed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was followed as a story, but all the commandments were just kind of not not considered relevant. I had a very big problem with that. Mm. And I had problems with not being able to ask questions. I'm a person, I like to ask questions. I like to, to pick everything apart and turn it upside down, you know, and, and debate and, and things. And Christianity is not big on that mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't stand up to it very well. Right. And so I was always discouraged in that. And of course, Judaism, everything about Judaism is we, we like to hope at least asking questions. Right. Right. The question's more important. I used to tell my students, the question's more important than the answer. The answer will come eventually. But we always just right. want to ask a really good question. And we really reward our children also when they ask a question that like the best thing that you could do as a Jewish kid is at any age in your education is stump your teacher with a good question. 
Like nothing makes the teacher more proud than getting a question that they can't answer. And I have to t I tell your parents that you asked such a good question and they'll tell the principal that you asked such a good question. I don't know the answer, let's ask the principal, that's such a good question. And that's so much a part of Judaism that just like, you know, really asking questions that are sometimes difficult, if not impossible, um, to answer, and still that being something that is totally congruent with a deep faith in God at the same time. You know, I, I'll tell you a little uh, story from later in life is, you know, Baruch Hashem, when we uh, lived in South Africa, we're running a Chabad house there. We would have tons of people over for Seder who we didn't even, you know, know, you know, we just walk in the door, who are you, you know, coming for Seder. And one time we had a, a group of Israelis who were in, you know, selling, you know, cosmetics at a kiosk or something and decided the day before, you know, 12 of them wanted to come for Seder. And I wasn't going to have, I said, it's not space, I don't have any space, where am I going to put them? My son Moishi, he was, you know, 10 years old, insisted we've got to have these Israelis over. So they came. And Moishi, my kids speak English and Hebrew equally because they lived in Israel for a long time. And we spread the kids out during the Seder. They were allowed to sit wherever they wanted. So Moishi, 10 years old, went and sat with a table full of Israelis. And I barely talked to him for the whole Seder. And, you know, they, um, and then I see uh, Moishi comes to me at the end. I'm like, how was your Seder? He's like, that was the most meaningful Seder of my life. Really? And I'm like, why? I'm like, really? I'm like, because he was sitting with these kids, you know, these kids in tank tops and, and jeans and shorts. And, you know, like, I said, what happened? And he says, they kept asking me all of these questions about Judaism. And I had to think about what the answer was. He said, why do you believe in God? He said, I have to sit and think about why I believe in God for a minute. And he says, it really made a lot of meaning for me to have to answer all those questions. Wow. And it, that really stuck out to me. That um, It really stuck out to me because what was the most meaningful thing? Not when he heard a lecture from someone or just went through the theater, but when he was asked questions and had to think about what the answers would be. Wow. Yeah. That's right. Well, and I guess kudos to your son, Maishi, who at six or 10 years old is able to hold his own in that type of environment. <laughs> so. no, I, guess, I guess it's uh, part and parcel of the way that he's grown up. Yeah. Uh, okay. Having to do that. So let's go back. So you had this transformative Friday night experience. At the time, did you feel it transformative or is it when you look back, you say like, wow, that was the moment? Oh, no. At the time, I felt it was transformative. Once I set foot in that house, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Wow. This is it for me. You know, and I was absolutely sold. It was love at first sight. You know, I, I was there and I was sold. I was like, this is what I want to do. But of course, and, and I, I was trying to, you know, when I, I wanted to come again, they said, of course you can come again. I didn't advertise that I was a, a Christian or anything. I was like, of course. I think they thought I was just some innocent Jewish person um, who got caught up in this. But I know that uh, we're on a podcast, so people can't see me, but I look Jewish. You know, I look right. relatively Jewish. I don't, you do. I'm not one of these converts that sticks out. Right. I look relatively Jewish. And so they were like, no, come again. And then I kept trying to come up with the right answers to questions. You know, who's Jewish in your family? You know, this and that. You know, because the, Masha Vogel, the rabbi's wife, you know, she's a little, she's, she, she'll ask you those questions. She'll get right in there and ask you. And I was like, uh, 
like, where do your parents uh, go to synagogue? And I'm like, well, there's a Temple Bethel in Rochester, and there's also a Bethel Full Gospel Church, which we went to. Right. So I'm like, Bethel, you know, Bethel, you know, <laughs> like I'm trying to like answer the questions right, you know, and getting them all wrong. And eventually I had to like tell her, I had to tell them, look, I'm not Jewish, you know, but I remember exactly where it was. I went and sat down with Rebbe Vogel in the campus hall, like in the middle of the, the student union building where he's trying to recruit people for Friday night. And I'm like, look, you know, my mother's not Jewish. I'm not Jewish, but I, I, I want to be Jewish. And what do you say? He said, you should go and not be Jewish. You should go and be, a, you know, a B'nai Noach. And, you know, Chabad is very into B'nai Noach. And, you know, mm-hmm. you should go worship God in your way. You know, this is not for you. And I'm like, no, it's definitely for me. This is definitely what I want. And eventually I was like, I kept being persistent enough that he was willing to help me with the conversion and I really didn't want to go through anyone else. He kept telling me, you know, I don't do conversions. I don't, whatever. But I didn't want anything less. Now, in the full honesty of it, at the time, like I think that almost every convert, I think, who especially comes from something of my background, you have this time when you're trying to meld everything together and sort it out. So there were times when I was going to Rabbi Zilzel's house on Friday night and then going to the Messianic, you know, J for J, you know, church things on, on Saturday morning because I was trying to sort it all out. Like, what what was it? Can I combine them? And I realized, like, like eventually there was no way. I had started becoming more involved in, like, the campus Hillel at school, mm-hmm. which was completely run by, um, like, a conservative Jewish woman who was the director and she was horrified I don't know which horrified her more when I told her I was going to the Messianic Jewish things or to the Chabad like both of those were horrifying to her she's like the one she says is not Jewish she says the Messianic thing is not Jewish it's you know just Christians and she said the other one she says is just oppressive to women and they're just gonna you know make you, you know, it, you know, they're just going to make you into this like female robot and an intelligent woman like you shouldn't bother with something like that. You know, wow. All it, these, all these messages, you. all these, like all these barriers. It's so interesting. Cause I, I've spoken to a lot of converts over the years. Um, and I have a theory about why, you know, people who grew up, let's say in a from home have find like the stories of conversion to be so inspiring. But um, I found with everybody that I know that there is a barrier at some point that they, not even a barrier, but like almost like a challenge that they have to get through, whether it's like the based in was hard on them or, um, you know, there's something that they have to reconcile with their background. And I actually have a friend who was in the conversion process and is still in the conversion process going on like 15 years now. I mean, she never converted, but ultimately for her, it was like holiday dinners with her family. And she couldn't give that up. And it wasn't really about the food, but she's like, how can I not participate, like, let's say, in Christmas dinner with my family? How can I not sit and be? And so really, like, ultimately, the the struggle was that she felt that she was leaving her family in a way that was too significant for her to sacrifice. And she she couldn't do it. So she's, she's still not Jewish, even though she really kind of learned seriously for a while. And I feel like there is something that happens. There's a challenge that most people face that they really have to, or most converts face, that they have to really decide that 
you know, at all costs, they want to be part of Claudia's role. I think you're right. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. What do you think that was for you? For me, it was actually leaving, leaving my Christian world. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult. I think there were two. Can I, can I have two? You can have three. <laughs> can I have two brick walls? Yes. I mean, three brick walls, That's even you, you, you got, you accomplished so much and you, you know, overcame so many I'll things. I'll tell you my two brick walls. Yeah. One was leaving the actual fabric of Christianity because you have to realize, like, I was always taught to the point where, you know, we were given very vivid imagery as children that a person, you know, is, Someone comes to them and you know is ready to to, to to kill them and you know and and they say we'll let you live if you de- if you um, if you deny deny your beliefs and of course you're supposed to say you know I will die for my beliefs I'll do anything for my beliefs and so to actually say at some point to actually have to say at some point I do not believe in those things anymore so difficult. Even when I was living a life, even even when I was living a life that totally denied the belief. Wow. You see what I mean? To yeah. actually say, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. I walk away from it. I turn my back on it. It was even when I was totally living a Jewish life mm. before I converted. And I had to say that. At one point, I had a friend who said to me, you need to be able to say right now, I don't believe in, in Yasha. And I said, I can't say that. He says, you have to say it. Do you believe in Yasha? I said, of course I don't believe in it. He said, so say I don't believe in it. I said, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it's so, it's impossible, you wow. know? And I did. He said, say it now. And I said it. And it was like crossing a, a barrier. Wow. Right? Yeah. Just to do that because I just, I remember that so vividly, that moment, because that was the, the first time I really crossed that barrier. And the other thing for me was just, it was an incredibly lonely experience mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who maybe converted because they were getting married or because they were already, say they already even had a family and they converted because they always thought they were Jewish and then they decided they just wanted to become, you know, Jewish because, you know, but they had their family. Like I literally lost everybody that I knew and grew up with. My mom and I are still very close. My sister and I are still very close. But that was it, like everybody else, like my entire community, my entire family, because anytime I would see them, I remember so many times just being accosted by people. I can't believe you went over, you know, and did this. Get down on your knees now and pray with you. That was like very difficult. It was a very heart-wrenching thing. And at the same time, the Jewish community is pushing you away. Right, right. Wow. And at the same time, the Jewish community is going you know, that is rejecting you because they don't want to pull you in too close. Right. Wow, I never so thought of it another, like that. that was my other brick yeah. wall. Yeah. It was my other brick wall. Thank God I had a couple of families that were like my substitute families in the Jewish world. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it. I don't know if I would have made it. I don't know. Wow. Because it was just, it was too much. Well, you said you're still very close with your mother and you're still very close with your sister. So how do they... Like, how were they at the time? Was, did they have, I'm sure they must, it must have been difficult for them. I'm sure it wasn't just like an easy. I think it was very difficult for them. I was just like saying to my husband before this, the sad thing is like, for me, 
my mother loves to, to, to hear when, you know, I speak or do a show or do a something. And I can't let her listen to this podcast because it's too painful. It'll be too, it would be too painful for her to listen. Right. And like, it's still, we just sort of ignore it. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't ignore it because, I mean, of course, every aspect of my life is Jewish and every aspect of her life is Christian. Right. But we don't talk about about that. So you don't talk about the and thing like that's, before, in a way, the most important thing in your life for either of you, because she is still as equally fervently Christian as she was. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I talk about my kids talk about Judaism with her all the time mm-hmm. because, but she looks at it also though, like they're, they're the type of Christians that really love Jewish things. Right. So they'll tell her about things in the Bible or things and whatever. And she likes that, but we don't talk about my reasons for leaving. Right. We don't get into it. You know, we just leave the subject. And my sister and I, we also, so get on. We actually, you know, go for a couple of weeks every summer out by my mother's house. Lives out in the country, and my kids love to do it. And my kids are really close with their cousins, even though they're like Pentecostal Christians. Their cousins are sick of this homeschooled out in the country. Right. Like they run around barefoot in the snow. Right. Like fundamentalist Christians, but they all get along because it's like they have so many commonalities. None, nobody's got a TV set. Right. Nobody listens to, you know, kind of music they're not supposed to. Nobody's allowed social media or internet or stuff, you know, and so they uh, they get on together. And everybody has a strong faith in God at the end of the day. Everyone has a strong faith in God. And they just, I think a lot of times when kids want to get, get together, I mean, the boys, they don't really, they just want to play football or, or you know, right. soccer or something. They don't really, or write ATVs. They don't really, yeah. they're not looking to try to convert each other, you know? Yeah. So um, how old were you when you finally converted? So it was like three years of agony mm-hmm. during university. So I believe I was 22. Mm-hmm. It was right after I graduated from, from university. Mm-hmm. And um, it was three years of agony, of learning, of loneliness, of rejection and rejection and rejection. We actually did the conversion with the Beit Din in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Because um, Rabbi Vogel felt that Rochester was too, I mean, you're, you live in a small community. I bet Cleveland's a bigger community than Rochester. I, I don't remember if you lived in Rochester. You lived in Rochester, I think, for at least a year or two. Yeah, I lived there for about three years, yeah. Yeah, it's a small community. So to get a date in together there, he said the concern he had is somebody looking at my conversion certificate when my kids want to get married someday, they're going to go, who are these rabbis? Right. You know, like. Is legit or not? So we kept trekking up to Toronto, which is like a four-hour drive. And every time they would make Rabbi Vogel, every time the Jason wanted to see me, they'd make Rabbi Vogel drop everything he was doing and get in the car and drive me up. Wow. And so it was insanity. Like he'd have to pull one of his kids out of school so that we wouldn't be like in the car alone together and drive four hours up. And almost every time they'd question me and they'd go, thanks and goodbye and send me home. Mm-hmm. So it was like one time they didn't even see us. They brought us all the way up there and they told us they were too busy to see us. And this is home. Do you think it's that difficult on purpose? Yeah, I think it has to be. I wouldn't, I I think it has to be because you don't want people. It's a huge commitment. It is a lifelong, lifelong commitment. Right. I would say we have a no backseas policy, right? Yeah. It's a serious thing, but it's also like, I mean, thank God 
God. It was, I, I think it has to be that difficult because Christianity, they pull you in. It's like, we love you. We love you. Come join, come join. They, they pull you in. And then there's a lot of people who, you know, they go back and forth. They go back and forth. Mm. And it has to, it has to be, they, my final exam, they gave me a final exam, 300 essay questions. Wow. It took me three, eight hour days to write it out. Wow. Like everything from like, describe the steps to costuring your kitchen to what do you think the nature is of sin in Judaism? You know, stuff like that. And I'm like, there, you know, <laughs> writing it all out. And so, I have this horrible memory for dates. And they're like, they're like, what date does, you know, Pesach fall? And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, you know, I don't remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know what it is. I don't remember the date it falls on. You know, right. like, we'll send all the base Yaakov but, girls to you to get an education because I can't imagine that anybody who grew up from would be able to just sit down and answer that question. Those, all those questions. Exactly. I wouldn't want to have to take it now, to be honest <laughs> with you. Like, I think it would be like, I, I mean, it was, it was a lot. It was, it was very stressful. And then it was funny enough, like, didn't hear back from them, didn't hear back from them. And I was actually moving out of Rochester because Rabbi Vola had said to me, and just, you know, because people don't realize my background, I wasn't only with Chabad. Like, my two families, one was Chabad and the other was, like, the Kofetayim people, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in Rochester. So it was two very, very different um the two very different perspectives, both Orthodox, and I was also going to another Orthodox rabbi house a lot. But they all decided, they all said to me, you've got to move somewhere that there's more of a Jewish community, which I wholeheartedly recommend to converts. I always tell people, don't convert until you, you know, if you're not going to spend some time in a, in a, in a, like a very vibrant Jewish community, not a, like a really small town one, because it's very hard to get a sense of things. Like certain things in Rochester, I didn't get it sense of like what for example especially when you're single it's harder to get a sense of a place like rochester which is very geared like a lot of small town communities like the one i live in now in albany it's very geared towards married people Mm -hmm. the families and just i think even just the difference like i ended up moving to boston Mm -hmm. right boston has a has hasidic shuls it has sephardic shuls it has you know all different strains of orthodox, just different things like that, just that whole rhythm of Jewish life, like the diversity of Jewish life. Mm-hmm. And I really think that it's important to see that, even though I didn't stay in a community like that. I think that it's important to see that and see and to get super involved. I think it's hard to get super involved as a single in in a smaller Jewish community. Yeah. So I, so, but Rabbi Vilbo said, you know, okay, we got to get this done already before you move to Boston. I'm telling you, you're moving to Boston as a Jew. And I remember it was Tishabab, and it was like, you know how Tishabab is. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's awful day. And they call up Rabbi Vilbo and they're like, we want to see her tomorrow. Rabbi Vilbo's like, what? You know, <laughs> tomorrow, you know, the day after Tishabab. And he's running like the John Izzy camp. Right. You know, and so it's not like he has nothing to do. And they're like, don't bother sending her unless you come. And if you don't want to come, we're not even going to see you until after September, after the Hagim. So Rabbi Vogel, you know, pulls one of his kids out of camp and, you know, delegates all his responsibilities, drives me up there. And they're like, today's the day. We're doing it. Wow. And you had no idea? 
no. Oh my gosh. I hope, but I've been hoping every single time. They're like, today's the day we're doing it. I'm like, seriously? Okay. I'm going to go home Jewish out of this? Okay. You know? And, uh, and that was it. But so now it's like, it's funny. People ask me when my English birthday is, which is in November, and then they'll say, when's your Hebrew birthday? Well, for a convert, your Hebrew birthday is the day that you converted. I'll be like, my Hebrew birthday is the 10th of Av. And then they sit there and try, you can see them trying to work it out in their head. You know, right. <laughs> you know, how is your English birthday in November and your Hebrew birthday the 10th of Av? How does that work? I didn't know that, that you consider your Hebrew birthday to be the day of your conversion and not like the day that well, you were born, the Hebrew, the Hebrew day that you were born. I don't know. Maybe not everybody does, but I know a lot of people do. That's so, that's beautiful, actually. But what, so what, did you feel different before the mikvah and after the mikvah? I think I had such a sense of terror in the mikvah that I was just, all I can remember is that because like the rabbis actually go into the mikvah room with you right. and tell you they can't, can only see the top of your head. And you're just like sitting there going, okay, I'm in the mikvah <laughs> with these three rabbis looking at you. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's terrifying. Right. And luckily I had this like very old, like sort of Russian um, Miss Lady, mm-hmm. and she finally at one point because they started asking me all these questions, like in the mikvah, like how many of the sins in uh, Ju- Judaism are actually from the Torah? You know, how many? No, how many of like the the, the, the you know different like things? Like I'm like what? And she's like, just get on with it already. You know, she's not going <laughs> to answer any more of your questions. Just do it already. And like, and so that's they, so they, funny. So they did it. So uh, I remember is that and like. On the way home, and then again, so many of my memories are Mushki Vogel. God mm-hmm. bless her. She was in the car with us, and she—I come out, and she's like, so "Are you Jewish now?" And I'm like, "Yes, I'm Jewish." And she's like, "Does that mean you're Chabad?" And I said, <laughs> "I don't know. I don't think I'm Chabad." She goes, "How can you be Jewish and not Chabad?" That's hilarious. Like, <laughs> I was like, "We'll discuss it later." <laughs> but like, I like, but then when I got home, it was a normal day. Right. Because I couldn't even tell my family about it. And I was still, like, living at home. Right. And it was just a normal afternoon. It was, like, the weirdest thing. Wow. That's incredible. So it was, like, no parties or no excitement. It was it. Was it. Uh, yeah. So, and then that, that fall you went to Boston to finish school? That fall I went to Boston for graduate school. Wow. And, um, and joined the Jewish community there. And... Three years later, I met my husband there. <laughs> wow. And your husband is Chabad, correct? My husband's family has been Chabad for 200 or more years. Like oh, wow. He is FFB, 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 you know. Old his, school, yeah. His, his, his family is like an old school uh, Chabad family. That's incredible. And then, so I know you said you lived in Israel. So you and your husband went to Israel after you got married? Is that what happened? Not exactly. So... We spent um, a few years in Texas first, and we had five of our kids in Texas, and we were sort of doing a thing where we were assisting with uh, a shul, and cause we always like to be sort of, you know, uh, assisting or doing something at a shul, um, we were doing something there, and that still kind of fell apart. It was absorbed by a bigger shul. Mm-hmm. And so we decided, okay, let's make Aliyah, and so we went and we made Aliyah, and we lived in Israel for nine years. Wow. Which was, which was amazing, which was like, I, like, sometimes I was just blown away. Like when I looked back at my 
background. And then, you know, my mother, you know, fundamentalist Christian comes to, uh, she came to Israel. I think she came in the nine years we were there. I think she came 13 or 14 times. Oh, well, Christians Israel. love going to Israel, right? I mean, that's something she that they're really she into. Never thought, she loved it. Of course, yeah. her, her friends were all jealous of her, but she never, it was hilarious though at the airport. You know how they're really tough? Like the LL screeners can be very tough. Yeah. And they asked her, what are you doing? What they would, oh, she'd always get singled out for special screening because they, her name is Mary, you know, so it doesn't look, you know, Jewish. And they'd say, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to visit my daughter. What does your daughter do? Oh, she's an Orthodox Jew, you know, who lives in, uh, you know, this town, whatever. And they were like, are you Jewish? And like, she's like, oh no, you know, I'm a fundamentalist Christian, you know? <laughs> and so to them, it didn't add up to the, they're always patting down, you know, <laughs> 70 something year old mother, you know what I mean? Cause they think it seems weird to them. Like, why is this, uh, these two people don't match up, you know? So when but, you're living in Israel um, or Texas or, you know, just like living fully, even before you got married and you're part of the Jewish community, is there anything that surprised you or that was not the way that you expected it to be? Either, you know, positive, negative, whatever it was that was just, oh, this was, I didn't anticipate this or this was surprising. Yeah. I'll give you a positive and I'll give you a negative. How's that? <laughs> yeah. So the positive side, the, I found the absolute dedication to Torah overwhelming. Like people, it's beautiful. Like I never realized like how, like my sons go to yeshiva. They spend like, you know, 12 hours a day studying Torah. Right. I never in my life, you know, even knew such a thing existed. And that's beautiful. Like sometimes I have to pinch myself when I like see that I'm so overwhelmed with how beautiful that dedication to Torah and mitzvahs are and when I see people who literally like also the chesed in the Jewish community is just beautiful yeah like just chesed is amazing also the the uh, you know I remember the first time I said to my mother I'm going to call up Rabbi Vogel and see if I can come for Shabbos and she's like you're going to call to invite yourself over to someone's house I'm like no in the Jewish world that's okay like you know in the non-Jewish world it's considered like you know you invite yourself over to someone's house it's like the ultimate rude thing to do so like the the chesed is just amazing. Yeah, it's just amazing. On the bad side, on the other side, sometimes it. I think um, I came in because I came into Rochester, which is like a very beautiful place to actually come to Yiddishkeit through because mm-hmm. everybody there, a lot of people there, really behave very well, mm-hmm. and they really like have a lot of derech eret. Mm-hmm. And they, whatever, when I see people behaving badly, it still upsets me. Right. If I see people like, you know, if you see a headline and there's some Orthodox guy who is cheating in his business or something, or if I see people when they're just uh, very, you know, into materialistic sorts of things or, you know, mm-hmm. very behaving like in a way that, I, like, it still upsets me. Like, that upsets me a lot because I guess I still have a, a rose colored glasses view of what, uh, Orthodox people should be like um, from an ethical standpoint. Right. That's so interesting. And I think sort of to what you were saying before about recommending that converts go live in a big community, maybe not even just because of the diversity aspect or because maybe there's certain things that they don't know about or they don't necessarily know the difference, you know, 
between the different traditions that they may want to be a part of. But also, I think it's important to confront the fact that, you know, just when a person converts, or I would say the same thing maybe when somebody becomes from, like, you know, from people aren't perfect. And there are a lot of things that you're confronted with that you do have to sort of reconcile with. And, you know, we're imperfect people in a perfect system. And so there's obviously going to be some of that that you need to confront, I think. And I think that, well, all Jewish people are amazing and wonderful just because they're religious. And they're all living by the things that you want to live your life by. I think it's also, for, for converts, and I can't really stress this, stress this enough, it wasn't only to be, like, I think a lot of converts who grew up in a small town, that's like one aspect of, of, of Judaism. That's not the only place you can be Jewish. Like, I'm saying, like, people get spoiled. Like, if I had only lived in Rochester, it can't be that I'm converting to be Jewish in Rochester. I have to be able to to live in the in the greater Jewish society to see what it's like mm-hmm. to, to be confronted with different aspects of things and, and be ready to deal with them, you know? And, and so I do think it's, it's very important to see, to see other things of that. I think it is very important to see a place that's a larger Jewish community. Right. Right. That's very, that's very interesting that you say that it is true. And you've certainly had those experiences. So you went from Israel to South Africa where you were there for how many years were you in South Africa for? So when we were in Israel, we got an opportunity to, um, as Chabadnik, to uh, help run a shul in South Africa. They, you know, uh, my husband's a rabbi, and to go out and be uh, the rabbi and rabbitin of uh, uh, assisting in a community out there. And so we went there outside of Johannesburg. Just picked up the whole oh, wow. <laughs> so It was like a bit crazy, but it was great. We went there for, um, we agreed to go for two years, and we stayed for four. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the four years, it was in the middle of COVID and it was just, everything was just crazy with, with COVID. And so we left, we mm-hmm. came back to the States. And how are you finding it readjusting back to, to the U.S. after all those travels? It's strange. It's strange readjusting. I, we purposely chose a, a small community. We live in a very small community and like there's no restaurants or no, uh, yeah. Mockers or no anything, you know, uh-huh. but it's like two hours outside New York. So, you know, if you really want to go out to eat, you drive down to New York. And my, and it's, it's great, you know, the safety is a lot better here. So my kids mm-hmm. are happier because in South Africa, they really couldn't, couldn't go anywhere on their own. Mm-hmm. And so as teenagers, they were a little constricted. So right here they, they have more, but it's, it's tough to be back. It, it, it's tough in certain ways. Like, um, Jewish community in America is much less united than it is in South Africa. Right. And so it's, it's different to get used to, it's different to get used to that. Yeah. What I was saying before, you know, I I sort of mentioned this in passing, but um, I, I'm just curious to know your thoughts about this. Um, I talked about just the fascination that hearing stories like yours, somebody who grew up Christian and converted to Judaism and went on this journey. I think one of the reasons why it's so interesting and so attractive to people like myself. I grew up from, I grew up in the eighties, like you probably were probably close in age, close in age together. And we grew up in a time when we had a lot of exposure to the outside world. You know, we watched TV. I mean, even now in a certain way, it's almost like an yeshivish family, they would not have access to social media or to 
television or whatever it is. But when I grew up, it really wasn't like that. Like even in Beis Yaakov, like everybody had a TV. It was before people recognized that, hey, maybe this isn't something we don't want to have in our homes. Um, it's certainly the content wasn't as bad as it is now also. But we really grew up pretty exposed. Like, you know, we all watched, I don't know, Family Ties or whatever it was that was on TV, like all the kids. And even just something like watching a commercial with like, you know, a Big Mac or, you know, non-kosher candy. And you're always kind of looking at this from the outside and imagining like this wonderful world that you're not a part of, all these cool things that you get to do. And so you have that sense growing up, certainly when I did, where we really had that exposure to the non-Jewish world in a way that was very um, marketed to us as being attractive, uh -huh. you know, subliminally even maybe. And then to hear the story of somebody who said, no, 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 you're not missing anything you know, what you have is really better. Like somebody who, like you chose it, like as a front person, you don't have a choice, like too bad. Like you may go off the derech, but then you're off the derech. You know what I mean? Like there's no option. Yeah. So hearing that, hearing the stories of people who say like, you're not missing anything. If anything, what you have is better. It's just a very inspiring. It's very funny though. Like just something that occurs to me when you say that is you don't know how many times, but like I didn't realize like sort of that, sort of a marketing like how things were marketed like that because how many times can I tell you has somebody who's from grew up from and they come to me and like I have one question for you you know how does a Big Mac really taste just tell me right. was it good you know what I mean like is it as good as it was right and they'll say to me I don't want to ask somebody who's Jewish who's about to for that because they they may be embarrassed that they used to eat it but you don't have to be embarrassed was it good <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's what it was like growing up as like a from kid and we would sit and watch commercials and there were, you know, constantly commercials for like, we would wonder which's better Burger King or McDonald's because they're competing with each other. And there were all these commercials oh, and we would just wonder. And like, I remember, and the truth is um, when I was little, the um, Snickers candies were not kosher. And we used to watch the commercials where they would like break the candy apart and pull it and the caramels, <laughs> you know, just like you see this pull and you so think funny. that must be the most delicious thing in the world. And then, you know, generally speaking, when they became kosher, we're all like, eh, this isn't even so good. You know, like. I know they were so, people were so disappointed when I told them, no, you know what, the Big Macs really don't look, in person, they don't look like that, like in the commercial. It's <laughs> right. not like, it's like, you know, really not that great. And they're like. Really? Oh my gosh! I thought it was. <laughs> you thought we really thought funny. we were missing something. Turns out we're really not missing anything. Um, anyways, Elisheva, I could talk to you for so long. I just maybe have one final question. Um, sure. That I apologize because I forgot to prep you for it, but I usually do ask this at the end, which is, if you had one message that you would give to Jewish women based on your life experience, what do you think it would be, or something that you could tell Jewish women? See, I'm already pressed because I've listened to your other <laughs> podcast, so I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so I spent some time thinking about it because I enjoyed listening to your other podcast. So my message is this. It's, it sounds very cliche now to say don't judge someone by how they look. Don't judge someone by what their background is. But I think we all do it. I, like I said, I'm someone who actually looks Jewish. So a lot of times people will have a conversation, maybe even something that, you know, could be very hurtful or something in front of me and then go, oh, I didn't realize that your family was, you know, from that I'm so embarrassed that I, that I said it. Mm -hmm. Don't always judge that just because somebody looks, you know, like that they're from, from birth person, that that's what their background is because we all have our own story and our own journey. And especially, I think also, you know, now 
in my own history in regard to Shiduchim, you know, my own kids are now starting to come up to, to Shiduchim. And it's really important to me that they consider somebody not just who's traditional from from birth or from, you know, this, mm-hmm. that, that they would, con- that, 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 for them to consider someone who's about to birth, someone from a different background. Because look at my, my husband and myself, you know, we're from very, very different backgrounds. We're mm-hmm. married 21 years, you know, thank God. And, you know, I know another family where the, where the husband grew up in a totally non-religious family and married the daughter of the Rosh Yeshiva, you know, I right. mean, and, and it's been a great marriage for them. It's not always easy, but, we, you know, we judge so quickly when we look at someone else. Right. And I think we make judgments a lot of times based on externalities. Like, do you find it? I know this is going to be the last question. This is really the last question, but do do you find it a compliment when somebody says something like, oh my gosh, I totally thought you were from, from birth or I totally had no idea. Or is that dismissive of what you've been through? Okay. I don't, I don't really think it's a compliment because I mean, I have my, my own journey on my own person I'm not more of a person because I converted or less of a person than I converted and it, it goes along with you know my other sort of peeve about these things where people will talk about something and say oh I didn't realize I, I shouldn't have said that I, you know I shouldn't have talked about such a group of people in a disparaging way I didn't realize you were a convert it's like no you shouldn't you shouldn't do that because it's not the right thing to do right not because I'm here right you see what I mean like absolutely you should you should behave with more Dara Harris in general, not just because <laughs> not just because if you think I'm a convert. That's not a compliment either. Right. I hear that. And I think that, that what you said is just a great way to end the podcast on, which is everybody has their journey. I mean, I think that your journey is certainly inspiring, and I hope it was inspiring to my audience who just heard your story, because it certainly is to me. But at the end of the day, everybody really needs to take on their own journey towards towards Hashem at the end of the day, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm even if it's not as maybe dramatic sounding as yours. But I really want to say thank you because this was such a wonderful episode and I really appreciate how frank and honest and open you are about your story. Thank you for having me. It was really nice to talk to you. Okay, great. Nice to catch up. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again.